but there are ton, tons and tons of Palestinian villages demolished and dispossessed on a daily basis. And we need to, we need to shift our attention to that as a larger project to completely erase all Palestinian presence from our native city. Welcome to This is Palestine. I'm Deanna Butu. And I am Omar Badar. And today we'll be talking about Israel's slow motion ethnic cleansing of Palestinians in East Jerusalem, and in particular in the neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah. Later, we'll be joined by Palestinian writer and poet Muhammad al-Kurd, whose family in East Jerusalem has been the target of displacement efforts by the Israeli occupation. But first, we'll discuss some context with Feiruz Sharqawi of Grassroots Jerusalem. Welcome, Feiruz. Thank you, Diana. Happy to be here. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Feiruz, I want to see if you can give us some of an overview or some context about what is happening to the families in Sheikh Jarrah. Mm -hmm. So the latest update from Sheikh Jarrah is that on February 16th, the uh, Jerusalem District Court, the Occupation Court, uh, Israeli Court, rejected the final appeal by six families uh, who live in Sheikh Jarrah who received eviction notices, um, in other words, are about to be displaced, dispossessed. Uh, and the final date they were given is May 2nd. So on May 2nd, these six families, uh, uh, 27 people in total, will find themselves out of their homes. And, and why? What, what has been going on? What is the role that the courts have been playing in these settler organizations? Why is all of this happening? Well, first of all, the story is, is much older. Uh, when we speak about Sheikh Jarrah, we speak about the original story of 28 families, refugees, Nakba refugees, um, who, were, who um, uh, received a, a deal that was a deal between, originally between the UNRWA uh, and the Jordanian government in 1956. And the deal was to offer these families homes, they, will, they would rent for three years, uh, paying very little uh, money for the rent. But the deal was that after three years, the ownership over these homes will move to the families in return to them giving up on their refugee status. And uh, uh, even though these families did receive the homes in 1956, when 59 arrived, the Jordanian government did not fulfill its side of the deal and did not move the official legal ownership over these homes to the Palestinian families. After that, 67, the war of 67 happened, the eastern part of, of Jerusalem was occupied, and of course, settler organizations hand in hand with the Israeli occupation authorities started looking for ways to take over lands and Palestinian properties in Jerusalem. And in 1972, settler organizations claimed ownership over the land on which these homes were built. And of course, the Israeli courts accepted the, the claim by the settler organizations and recognized the ownership of the land uh, uh, by the settler organizations. And here I would like to take a, a, a moment and speak about really the, the, the role that the, the Israeli courts are playing. We are speaking about a colonial system in, in, in Palestine and the Israeli 
judicial system is part of this colonial system. And of course, by default, this system uh, um, uh, gives more rights and, and accepts uh, claims, legal claims by settler organizations while it rejects Palestinian claims. So this is what happened in Sheikh Jarrah. The settler organizations claimed ownership over the land. They produced a document, an Ottoman document, uh, uh, um, uh, that, that uh, you know, the, 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 uh, sorry, the lawyers of the families in Sheikh Jarrah are saying that there is a doubt about the uh, documents being original, uh, uh, nonetheless, the documents were accepted by the court and the court declared that the ownership belongs to these settler organizations. Now, based on this recognition, these settler organizations are now uh, uh, going to court and demanding that Palestinian families be evicted from the homes built on these lands. Uh, and today we are talking about the story of six of these families out of the 28. Some of these families have already been displaced uh, in 2008, 2009. Six families in total have been, already have been evicted and uh, uh, displaced in Sheikh Jarrah. And now we're speaking about 12 in total who have cases that are still running in court. Uh, but of course, the threat is larger. It is a threat on the whole neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah. And if you allow me just to add one more point about Sheikh Jarrah, it is a neighborhood that is uh, located in a very strategic uh, uh, place. It is the connection between the Western part of occupied Jerusalem and the uh, uh, colonies and settlements of the French Hill, the Hebrew University and the Hadassah Hospital. And so, since the Nakba, actually, uh, it's been a strategic goal of the Zionist movement to take over Sheikh Jarrah in order to build a continuity of Zionist control over the land. And taking over Sheikh Jarrah is going to serve that purpose very well. And so here's the irony now, Feruz, which is that you have these same courts that are deciding that Jewish ownership that predates 1948 can be given back to, to its Jewish owners. And yet, can't the same argument be made when it comes to Palestinian properties that predate 1948, where either their owners fled in 1948 or those who still remained? Definitely, definitely. The case cases uh, here is an example of the double standard that you, that we see and experience all the time. While Palestinian refugees do not have the right legally to claim property that was taken from them and occupied before uh, in 1948, while settlers can, even with a, a big question mark about how true the claim is to that ownership. But again, it should not be surprising because the expectation that there wouldn't be double standards is by itself uh, uh, questionable. I mean, do we really expect from the colonizer to be just and fair towards the colonized and the indigenous people? The colonizer by default is building the, 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 the state, the project, at the expense of these Palestinians, at the expense uh, uh, of the indigenous people. And so 
uh, expecting that the Israeli occupation authorities will treat the Palestinian uh, the Palestinians the same way it's, it treats Israelis is by itself a, a misconception. Well, it sounds like you've put it very well that uh, it sounds as though the, the three are working hand in hand, the settler organizations, the courts, and, uh, and the Israeli government. Definitely very well working together very well, completing each other. And again, we can see this structure in Sheikh Jarrah, but it is true also for the whole city of Jerusalem, as well as for the whole uh, Palestine and Palestinian land. We see this triangle of the uh, Israeli occupation authorities. So in this case, for example, we're talking about the government, which legislates and already the legislation itself is again, it's based on supremacy. It is, it, it is, it does not treat Palestinians as equal. On the contrary, it is based on dispossessing Palestinians, disempowering them, displacing them. And then uh, uh, moves in the judicial system, which executes and implements uh, uh, this legislation. In this case, in Sheikh Jarrah, these are the courts that are issuing those eviction orders, displacing Palestinians from their families. And then the third part here would be the settler organizations who are, <clears throat> excuse me, who are very rich, who have enough human resources and resources in, in general, because they are backed by Zionist uh, 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 millionaires and billionaires who continue funding these uh, uh, activities. So we see these three working hand in hand very well and very effectively in Sheikh Jarrah, completing each other, complementing each other's work. Eventually, they all have one goal in common, which is to displace Palestinians, dispossess Palestinians, and expand uh, uh, colonization and uh, uh, settlements. So Feroz, this sounds very much like a house to house battle. It's um, where each, each house has now become a target by these uh, Zionist organizations. W what can be done to help these families? Yes, first of all, house to house, you are right. It's divide and conquer on every single level. Uh, even though we, hear, we are here talking about, for example, 28 families who supposedly are facing the same threat, but settler organizations and the Israeli occupation authorities divide them and uh, uh, take, take two, three families at a time, six families at a time on a special legal case, dividing them, having them, uh, 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 preventing them from resisting and fighting together, even when it comes to court cases. Now, what to, to your question about what can be done, First of all, since we are talking about a very urgent matter, people need to make some noise. People need to protest and people need to write their representatives. People need to apply pressure and say that they and, and, and oppose and resist the disposition and displacement of Palestinian families from Sheikh Jarrah. Now, at the same time, to be realistic, I am afraid that there isn't much that can be done to help these Palestinian families, these six families we are speaking about today, uh, stay in their homes. These families have exhausted all legal steps that they can take. They have uh, submitted all of the appeals they can uh, submit. And the, the decision that was taken in, uh, on February 16th 
is the final uh, uh, decision, they will not even be able to uh, appeal this decision. Um, so I think that first of all, people need to um, uh, 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 protest and, and uh, mobilize around these cases. But at the same time, I think this is a good opportunity or reminder for us all that we are here talking about a system, a comprehensive system that uh, uh, is raising these cases everywhere. I mean, we're not only talking about one case in Sheikh Jarrah, we are speaking about hundreds or even thousands of other legal cases against Palestinians in Jerusalem, uh, uh, claiming ownership over land or evicting people from their homes. Uh, and I think that what we need to think here is not only how do we help urgently when there is one case that needs us to mobilize, but also how do we mobilize and how do, do we strategically resist uh, uh, this system that will continue to produce new cases and new tragedies and new hard stories that we will continue hearing unless we start mobilizing and changing uh, uh, the general situation. Oh. So, Feirouz, this is a difficult question um, to hear the answer. Mm -hmm. what, what's going to happen to these families? Where will they go if the decision is actually implemented? It is, it is a difficult uh, question. Um, first of all, in Sheikh Jarrah itself, some families, especially Rawi and Hanun, who were evicted in 2009, refused to leave. So what they did was to sit in tents uh, just outside of their stolen homes, and they stayed there for months in protest, saying that they will not leave until they return to their homes, Unfortunately, they had to leave the tents and they had to take down the tents or the Israeli occupation authorities took them down and then they had to go look for somewhere else to live. Now, I expect this is what's gonna happen with these families. I don't know if they plan to, to put up uh, protest tents uh, in, in, in their neighborhood or not, but these families will become displaced. They will become homeless in Jerusalem and uh, in general, in Jerusalem, of course, the occupation authorities and their strategies and plans for Jerusalem prevent the construction of adequate housing opportunities for Palestinians. So we're not only talking about families who will lose their homes, we're talking about families who will find it hard to find a place in Jerusalem because of the lack of uh, uh, either available or affordable housing for Palestinians in the city. So in, 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 in much worse cases, they will find themselves outside of Jerusalem, but in the better case scenarios, they will have to find places to rent in, inside Jerusalem somewhere else. So refugees turned into displaced once again. Yes, refugees again, becoming refugees over and over and over again. Well, thank you, Feirouz, for taking the time to speak to us um, about this issue. And I hope we get a chance to speak to you in, in the coming months on all of the excellent work that, that you continue to do at Grassroots Jerusalem. Thank you, Diana. Thanks for this opportunity. And now we're joined by Palestinian writer and poet Muhammad Al-Kurd. Muhammad, efforts to drive your family out of Sheikh Jarrah have been ongoing for many years. And... They were even featured in a documentary. Tell us, tell us your story. 
I think the world became familiar with Sheikh Jarrah at large and my family in 2009 when half of our home was taken by Israeli settlers backed by police and Israeli courts and the world is getting re-familiarized with our story as the second half of our home in addition to 11 other Palestinian families is for is facing forced displacement in the upcoming months however I think to understand what is going on in Sheikh Jarrah, it's really important to understand the history of Sheikh Jarrah, which is a housing project, I would argue a refugee camp that was created by the Jordanian government and the UNRWA for um, random 28 Palestinian families, 28 Palestinian refugee families who agreed to pay little fees and rent for three years, and then they would receive legal title for their property. However, Fast forward from 1956 up until the annexation in 1967, um, Israeli organizations and Israeli settler groups started claiming ownership, you know, baselessly claiming ownership in Sheikh Jarrah as they were claiming ownership of many houses and neighborhoods across historical Palestine. And if you look at the numbers of Palestinians in East Jerusalem, we have dwindled in size so significantly across the past few years that it is bizarre to be able to look at this and not see an, an attempt to completely displace and dispossess Palestinians from Jerusalem. Because when we are made homeless from our homes, not only are we just without property, we are also on the street in an increasingly gentrified city that is becoming way too expensive for its native residents to live in. So my family, for example, my neighbor's families, for example, cannot afford to rent a house in East Jerusalem. So we are inevitably forced at a certain point to move to the West Bank and thus lose our Jerusalem residencies and never be able to set foot in our cities again. So it's more than just the efforts to ethnically cleanse Palestinians from Jerusalem are more than just eviction and demolition efforts. Mm -hmm. They are efforts on all fronts. So in effect, when you talk about not being able to afford rent, I mean, that includes an economic strangulation of the Palestinian population in East Jerusalem as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you, don't, you don't need to look very far to understand how desperate our economy is currently and how difficult the Israeli government makes it for Palestinian business owners to flourish, be it by incredibly high taxes or racist regulations. It is, it is very evident. I mean, I walk down Salah Haddin Street and it comes six o'clock, all the businesses close. And then we are also seeing a presence, an increasing presence of Israeli businesses in East Jerusalem, in the old city. We're just seeing companies just pop up out of nowhere in Salah Haddin Street and Zahra Street in our communities, our, in, our industry, our industries are dying, quite frankly. And in a way, this is really a microcosm of the entire so-called Israeli-Palestinian conflict, the suffocation of Palestinian life under apartheid as part of Israel's long-term ethnic cleansing project. And what's troubling is how often you hear about how controversial this issue is and how there are two sides to it. People need a new education on what went on. So I think we need to make sure, I think we need to push and demand that the facts are treated as facts and that we are, this is not a controversial issue by any means. It shouldn't be perceived as a controversial issue. This is an issue of a colonizer who came and colonized another people. And before we can address it as such, I don't see any real, uh, any real change happening. All of these progressive circles 
in the public in 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 the public media oftentimes talk about palestine as if it's a hot button issue as if it's a controversial issue as if it's a not agreed upon we need to stop that we need to stop entertaining that idea that there is controversy here because there's not it's very clear who the aggressor is which even brings me to another point that I'm encountering in advocacy for Sheikh Jarrah and in advocacy against this position at large. You know, it's not enough for an American audience. It is not enough that we are being thrown out of our homes. I have to constantly qualify it by saying that my father is 70 something years old, that my little sister has a panic disorder, that my neighbor is disabled, that my other neighbor would have absolutely nowhere to go with the street. Why is that? Why is there a constant need for humanization? I think because we keep, because we keep placing such emphasis on humanization, we end up treating these incidents as isolated events. And the bigger picture, which is the larger project of ethnically cleansing Palestinians from Jerusalem, is lost in translation. I would argue that if our movement against Palestinian dispossession, Palestinian, forced Palestinian dispossession from Jerusalem is to be sustainable, is to last, we need to agree unanimously that we are against this, not because it's heartbreaking, of course it is heartbreaking, and not because people and children and women are going to be thrown in the street, but because colonialism, apartheid, military occupation are things that should never be tolerated. That's where people's support for Palestinians and the Palestinian cause should stem from. It shouldn't stem from some feeling of pity or feeling of empathy about children in the street, which is terrible and nobody should endure that. But if we keep treating these things as in isolated incidents, more than, more than ever, we're going to have more and more children in the street, more and more people who are homeless. Because my house, especially, like, especially my house, like it's, it's, it's almost funny to say, but this is not the first time my house was taken, you know, half of it was taken in 2009. And it's not the last time a Palestinian house is going to be taken. I think, I think I even have some kind of privilege to be able to speak about my house because I'm an English speaker, because I'm in the United States, because, because Sheikh Jarrah is between all of these embassies and consulates. But there are ton, tons and tons of Palestinian villages demolished and dispossessed on a daily basis and we need to we need to shift our attention to that as a larger project to completely erase all palestinian presence from our native city precisely muhammad and as many people have repeatedly said the palestinian people aren't a humanitarian case in need of charity palestinians are an oppressed people in need of freedom you were just listening to a palestinian writer and poet muhammad al-kurd from east jerusalem who is currently based in new york thank you for making the time for this conversation muhammad Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to This is Palestine, a podcast brought to you by the Institute for Middle East Understanding. The IMEU is a nonprofit focused on giving you access to untold stories, facts, and expert sources on all things Palestine. For more information, please visit our website at www.imeu.org and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the IMEU. Please don't forget to subscribe. I'm Deanna Butu. Thanks for listening.